Hello there and welcome into another edition of The Intersection with conversation about a variety of topics including news, information, and lifestyles approached from a Christian worldview perspective. First of all, from Summit Ministries, it's Jeff Myers examining worldviews that run contrary to a Christian worldview perspective, but which contain tenets that a new survey indicates are being embraced by Christians. Plus, you'll be hearing from the wife of Southern Baptist Convention President Steve Gaines. Her name is Donna Gaines, who offers some insight into the importance of wisdom and making wise choices in accordance with the scriptures. Also from the Cornerstone Television Network, you'll be hearing from Don Black. His network has partnered with other broadcasters to petition the president to declare September 11th as a national day of prayer, fasting, and repentance. And on this edition of The Intersection, the founder of the Christian Executive Officers Fellowship, or CEO Fellowship, Joe Green, offering some sound Christ-centered business principles by which to abide. Also from the Stream website, writer Liberty McArthur discusses a recent news story about how Iceland has eradicated Down syndrome children through taking their lives. Then you'll meet Tracy Murtha. Her late husband Greg was active in the Halftime Institute and other faith-related organizations. You'll hear her share about how her husband handled the cancer interruption that claimed his life. Finally, it's Andrea Ramirez, the executive director of the Faith and Education Coalition of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference, discussing the importance of the September 3rd Education Sunday. This is the intersection of production of The Meeting House. I'm Bob Crittenden. First up on this edition of The Intersection, some relevant comments on worldviews from Jeff Myers, the president of Summit Ministries. He's the author of a book called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews, Incorporating the Results of a Barna Survey Commissioned by Summit. Unfortunately, the survey reveals that there are ideas that are part of other worldviews which stand in contrast with Christianity. These ideas are being embraced by Christians. Here's Jeff Myers now. We just recently did a study with the Barna Research Group, and this research showed that church-going Christians, uh, 61% are strongly influenced by what we call a new spiritualist or new age worldview. 54% are strongly influenced by a postmodern worldview, and it goes from there. I mean, these worldviews are not just out there someplace. They are in here, in the hearts and minds of people who... Uh, love Jesus. And, and but if, if but you can demonstrate this to yourself, go to secretbattlebook.com, the same study that we did with the Barner Research Group, you can take. It's just a free worldview checkup. You might be surprised and maybe a little annoyed at wow. how much these other worldviews out there have influenced your own thinking and feeling. Well, you mentioned those two pieces of data, 61%. And these are, these are Christians that were surveyed. Is that correct? These are not just Christians. Okay. These are Christians who regularly go to church. Wow. These are the you know the ones, probably the ones most likely to be listening to our, our show right now, um, who because ideas float around like viruses that don't come into us fully formed. They're surrounding us. We see them in Facebook memes and bumper stickers and billboards and magazine covers in the grocery store. We're surrounded by these ideas all the time, and they influence us far more than we know. Well, and you mentioned those two pieces of data. One, one is 61% of those surveyed agreed with ideas rooted in new spirituality. 54% resonate with postmodernist views. So the name of this book is The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. And there are these five 
as the title or the subtitle suggests, Fatal Worldview. So in addition to new spirituality and postmodernism, what are the other three that are covered here in the book? Well, uh, Bob, I'll give them in the order they are influential to Christians, okay. and this is going to lead to probably a discussion we'll have to have another day, too, because there's a lot to this. Yes, yes. But it turns out that 38% of believing church-going Christians are strongly influenced by ideas related to an Islamic worldview, 36% to ideas rooted in a Marxist worldview, and 29% to ideas rooted in a secularist worldview. So the new spirituality says everything exists that is one, is one thing. The physical world is an illusion. Everything is spiritual. Everything is one. That oneness is God. So therefore, everything is God. We are God. The postmodern worldview says there's no such thing as truth, capital T truth. There are only our own individual little truths. Postmodernist looks back at the 20th century and says, look at all the people who died. Look at all of the suffering. All of that happened because there were people out there who believed that what they thought was true, and they were willing to kill other people to get their way. If we just stop believing in truth altogether, the postmodernist says, then, we, then everything will be fine. Uh, the Islamic worldview says that everybody who's ever been born was born a Muslim. If you're not Muslim now, it's because you are in rebellion against Allah, and you must be brought to bear you must be brought back to Allah. You need to bring yourself back through what's called jihad. And a lot of people, and people who have guns around the world, believe that you should force other people to obey God in this way. And that idea has picked up a lot of traction among young millennial Christians. They've been in co college campuses where they were forced to believe certain things or be shamed, and they have come to believe that Christianity should force people to obey God. Uh, so anyway, it goes down from there. Then the Marxist worldview, the problem is the rich. They've taken more than their fair share, overthrow the rich, and everything will be fine. And then the secular worldview says everything will be fine if we just quit believing in God altogether. Jeff Myers here on The Intersection. Learn more about the book by going to secretbattlebook.com. You can learn more about Summit by going to summit.org. The Intersection continues now with author, speaker, and Bible teacher Donna Gaines from Bellevue Baptist Church in Memphis, where her husband Steve serves as senior pastor. In a recent conversation, she discussed with me some of the concepts she relates in the book, Choose Wisely, Live Fully, Lessons from Wisdom and Folly, The Two Women of Proverbs. From that conversation, this is Donna Gaines. We have four children, a son and three daughters. And when our oldest daughter was about to go into high school, I was actually listening to a sermon of a pastor, and he just kind of in passing mentioned the two women of Proverbs. Well, honestly, when I think of Proverbs, it's usually Proverbs 31 woman, and she makes most of us feel a little bit intimidated. So I was quite intrigued by two women in Proverbs. And as I began to read Proverbs 1 through 9, I saw that God has personified wisdom and folly and contrasted their lives in Proverbs 1 through 9. So that led me to study these two women, the blessings associated with wisdom, the curses associated with folly. And I made the list, and when I saw those lists, it was very obvious that God has woven into the very, very fabric of life consequences for our choices. In fact, I like to call them if-then scriptures where all through the Bible God has said, if you do this, then this will happen. It's all the way through the Word of God. You can go all the way back to Genesis and creation when God said, if you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then you will die. And of course, Adam and Eve did not believe, just as today, so often we don't. We don't make sure that our decisions and choices line up with the Word of God. And when we don't, 
we don't think those consequences, those choices through to their logical consequence based on the Word of God. And often we end up on the path that leads to curses and destruction without even realize it, realizing it because we're leaning on our own reasoning. You are listening to Meeting House here on Faith Radio. Donna Gaines, an author and speaker, joining us today. She has written a book called Choose Wisely, Live Fully. And I wanted to steer our discussion into this whole area of biblical literacy because I believe that it really forms a foundation for this book. When you talk about biblical literacy, how would you describe that and and how do you really integrate that concept into this book, Choose Wisely, Live Fully? Right. Biblical literacy um, is attained when you actually understand the big picture of God's Word. You grasp God's story in its entirety because it is His story from Genesis to Revelation. And the beauty of grace is that God has chosen to write us in. He's invited us to join His story. And if you don't understand God's Word and don't spend time daily feeding your spirit on His Word, then you don't have um, that foundation from which to make wise choices and choices that line up with the truth of God's Word. And that's what happens to most of us. We don't spend time in the Bible ourselves. We let somebody else tell us what the Bible says, or we read about what somebody else says about the Bible. Um, But you know what I have found? I, I challenge the women that I disciple and that I teach to take time every day to read the Word of God, and I encourage them to read through the Bible every year. That gives you that grasp and foundation of the big picture of God's Word. And it only takes about 15 minutes a day to read through the Bible in a year. I want you to address what you see as the consequences for not possessing biblical literacy and how really that affects our culture at large. Absolutely. Well, we make decisions based on our feelings, and one of the things I stress in the book is that feelings are not truth. The enemy can hijack our feelings, our own flesh (laughs) can sabotage us with negative emotions. The world plays on our emotions and feelings. So if we're making decisions based on our feelings or based on just trying to relieve an emotion in the moment, we're going to make wrong choices. And we end up on a dark path. And Proverbs is very clear that when you're on that dark path, you stumble headlong. But when we're on the path of wisdom, and the only way to get off the wrong path, the path of the foolish woman, is to repent to recognize that we're making sinful decisions and choices based solely on our flesh, to die to that and choose instead to make our decisions line up with God's Word. And the moment we repent, we're back on that path, if you're a believer, that leads to life and blessing. So repentance is the way off, the wrong path, and then making our lives line up with the truth of God's Word. And I tell people all the time, you don't make decisions based on feeling. You make decisions based on truth. And eventually, your feelings will line up. Donna Gaines here on The Intersection. You can learn more at Donna Gaines with an E, G-A-I-N-E-S dot O-R-G. You can also download a discipleship guide through abingdonpress.com front slash Donna Gaines. The Intersection continues now with Don Black, president and CEO of the Cornerstone Television Network and founder of the In God We Trust movement, He discussed a special programming on 9-11 surrounding prayer, fasting, and repentance that his network in partnership with others will be presenting. He also talked about a petition to the president to issue a declaration for such a day concentrating on those activities on September 11th. Here now from that conversation is Don Black. We had an impact, praise God, in the election. We didn't say go vote for anybody. We said you pray, you fast, and then you vote for who God tells you to vote for. 
and we saw a record number of Christians go out to the polls in November. Well, when that campaign was over, I went to God, and I said, Father, is are we done? Is in God we trust the one campaign? And he, he, he came back in my spirit. Now, God doesn't send me telegrams or call me out directly on the phone, but he said, in my spirit, we need the church needs to rise up, and we need to address this 9-11 concept. What is it that happened on September the 11th, and how can the church fight back, if you'll let me use that terminology, in the spirit to turn the ship of this nation? See, if we don't rise up, if we don't pray, and if we don't get involved spiritually, then the nation will continue to drift away from our core, our center, which is biblical-based values. And so anyway, that's how the second campaign launched. Today we passed 100,000. 103,000 people have signed wow. that that petition to Donald Trump. As of today, we've got multiple avenues going to the president asking him to declare that day, 9-11-2017, as a day, a national day of prayer, national day of fasting, and a national day of repentance. And, Bob, listen, that hasn't happened in 100 years. Woodrow Wilson was the last president that that, that would declare that kind of of a proclamation was 100 years ago. Why is it important that a presidential proclamation occur in this effort? That's the icing on the cake, brother. The cake is us coming together and praying and fasting and repenting. That's the cake. You know, if there's no icing on the cake, a cake still can be really great. And I think the Mm. heart of this matter is our unity of prayer on Monday the 11th. And I want to encourage your listeners to go to our website, ingodwetrust.tv. It's just that simple, ingodwetrust.tv. Sign a petition, and then we'll be telling people how they can join us. We'll be on live on Facebook. We'll be live on the Internet. We're live on our network. Some other networks are picking it up, too. And join in with us on that day for four specific seasons of prayer during the time of fasting and then a time of repentance and a time of celebration because I think that's when we make the change. That's when the difference happens. It's, the president signed it. That's wonderful. And I pray that he does. That just makes it a public declaration. But really, it's our hearts that are declaring this to God. We're not convincing him of anything. We're convincing ourselves that we need to stand up for righteousness in our nation and, and, and make that our point of contact. And I think the president will have an ear to hear this. We're knocking on several doors. It's not easy to get to the White House. You can't go up and ring the doorbell. But we've, we're sending it through several channels that have direct access. And we're asking the Lord to give us that connection with, with the president for him to make that declaration. If you love our, our nation, and if you believe our nation is created by God for a specific purpose, and you know we're under attack, you know we're under attack from multiple fronts, we need to stand together. We need to put up our faith, put that shield of faith up, deflecting these these uh, these fiery darts from the from the enemy, and turn into uh, a, back to a land that honors God and and worships Him and has that freedom that He's given us. If those are important. Jump in here with us and and be part of this. Be part of this effort. A crack was made in our foundation, and in that crack, fear just flooded in. It's like this, you know, we're talking about floods, terrible things that are happening in Texas and Louisiana. The flood of fear came into our nation on 9-11, and that fear has permeated our culture to such a level now that we don't know if our neighbors are our enemies. We don't know anything. I mean, it just, every time we turn on the television, there's something bad going to happen, or something bad happened. And so we need to rise up. 
and we need to, I think, maybe first turn on different TV, but second, turn on our faith. Let faith rise up. Let God build us up. We're, we're not called to be uh, put into that spirit of fear, and that's what happened on 9-11, and I believe it's got spiritual roots. I, I, really, I really think that if we attack in the natural, that's one, that's one strategy, and I'm not certainly opposed to military strategies, but our biggest strategy for safety is in the spiritual. Mm. We need to pray. We need to fast. See, fasting brings turbocharging or uh, makes prayer laser-focused when you fast with your prayer. And then repentance just gives us, uh, take, uh, goes before the God, with God with a humble heart, you know, a heart of humility, clean hands and a pure heart before the Lord. Those things go together, and when they go together, miraculous things occur. Don Black here on The Intersection. Learn more at ingodwetrust.tv. This is The Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Learn more through the website meetinghouseonline.info. There you'll find a link to the Media Center marked Meeting House On Demand through which you could listen to or download full conversations with recent guests featured here on the Intersection Podcast. Also through that homepage, you can subscribe to the Intersection and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, on a weekly basis. Two blogs can be accessed. One is The Three, with three stories of relevance to the Christian community. The other is The Front Room, with devotional thoughts and commentary from The Meeting House. You can also follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Joe Green joined me recently on the Meeting House program. He is the author of the book, Dare to Succeed, Experience the Satisfaction of Doing Business by the Book. He discussed some principles that he applied when he was leading a company by Christian principles after having been an executive for a Fortune 500 company. He's the founder of the CEO Fellowship and Christian Business Leaders Roundtable. From that conversation, this is Joe Green. God began to speak to me and asked me to operate a company, start a company, and operate it on Christian principles. And uh, I honestly didn't know how to respond because first I didn't want to leave the job I was in. It was they were well caring for me uh, in that position, and I had four sons to send to college. And but the word just kept coming to me: I want you to leave and start a company and operate it on Christian principles. And after two years of struggling with that call from God, I finally said. God, I'll do whatever it is you call me to do. I ended up in one of our own emergency rooms, and the physician said, I don't know what you're struggling with, Joe, but you need to settle it or you're going to kill yourself. And I said to God, okay, I don't even know hardly how to start, but I'll do what you call me to do. And we began the company. And in 10 years, we built the company up to 35 hospitals and took the company public. I began during that period of time to learn the Christian principles. I really didn't know them. I didn't know where they were in the Bible, and so I began to research it. I did ask other Christian men what their advice was, and their advice was, don't try to do it. It won't work. Well, it did work. The company became very successful, and as I say, in 10 years, it was taken public. But So... That was the beginning of and that's what happened to it. I could go on and on about the individual principles because the Bible's full of it. 
The key is it will be successful. So the purpose of my book is to lay out the major steps of accomplishing that. Well, in the book called Dare to Succeed, you actually lay out some of these principles, and you were sharing earlier about when you had launched this company, your desire was to build it on Christian principles. You you basically said that you would pay your bills uh, as soon as they came due. Uh, what are some of the other principles that you found to be effective as far as building a business on that firm foundation of Christ's truth? One of the keys, I think, was to learn for me, because I'm a class A personality. I believe to be a strong leader. But as I begin to study leadership in the Bible, in Matthew, Jesus says, if you truly want to be a leader, you must learn to be a servant. And as I teach that and watch the response from CEOs, I tell them, turn your organizational chart upside down. That puts you on the bottom. And go to your employees and show them how you want to be their servant in assisting them to carry out their work. It gets you interested in their personal life also. Because now you have the servant attitude rather than just the leadership attitude. But if God tells me I need to be a servant, to be a leader, then I need to learn to be a servant and serve the people that are working in the company. What do you think are the keys, or maybe one or two of the keys, to really developing that mindset of being a servant leader? I think the first key to me is when I read in Matthew that it says, uh, so in everything do to others what you would have them do to you. When I put myself in the place of the employee or the customer or the vendor, it changes my attitude toward almost anything. If I'm going to deal with one of them and I put myself in their place, it'll influence my attitude to handle them in the right manner. And I think that's really key. Joe Green here on The Intersection. Find out more by visiting the website daretosucceedbook.com. The Intersection continues now with Liberty McArthur, writer for the website The Stream. She reported on the recent announcement from Iceland that all mothers there who had received information based on screenings that their children had Down syndrome had taken the lives of their children. Here now from that conversation is Liberty McArthur. This is a very disturbing uh, report coming out of CBS. They, they did admit that there are some, I think they said, ethical dilemmas with uh, the situation in Iceland right now. But I would say it goes far beyond that. This is um, eugenics-level crisis because you're having an entire group of people wiped out before they're even born simply because of, you know, they have Down syndrome. And this is a 100% of women in Iceland who get a screening, a pregnancy screening that shows a positive result for Down syndrome have an abortion. So mm. that's 100% of uh women wiping out babies with Down syndrome, which is just mind-blowing. 
Well, and these prenatal screenings were introduced in the country in the early 2000s. 100% of the women whose babies screen positive for Down syndrome, as you write, have had abortions. As you talked about, the ethical dilemmas were actually brought out. Uh, there, This is not a requirement to actually take the screening, but the law does mandate that they be informed of the option, and apparently most of the women do choose to to have the screening, correct? That's right. And I think, um, you know, a lot of the attitude and kind of how you come to understand this um, is in a quote from one of the doctors. She um, she explains she works at the main hospital in Iceland. And so in the video report, she takes the reporters to the room where they do the abortion. And, and, and pardon me, she shows them, you know, that this is where the women end their pregnancies. And she says, we don't view it as murder. We just ended a possible life that may have had a huge complication. We were preventing suffering for the child and the family. And a lot of times they'll even have a little service afterward. And so, um, you know, for them, they are thinking of, of this, you know, of having Down syndrome as being too big of a burden to bear, not worth it for the family to take care of. Uh, a child with Down syndrome, not worth it for that person to be able to live their life, um, which anybody who knows somebody with Down syndrome can say that doesn't make sense at all. You know, the vast majority are happy people. They can live fulfilling lives, um, accomplish great things, but they're, they're, they're positing it as, you know, this is um, a burden and it's okay if you just want to go ahead and and end that, you know, you tested positive for it, so let's just go ahead and, and end that burden before it gets started. Well, another uh, scary thing is that the test is only 85% accurate. So it's scary enough that they are aborting all the babies who supposedly have Down syndrome, but that's a 15% inaccuracy rate. A lot of other babies are also being aborted. This is a thinking that has infiltrated our society, and so you see that reflected in mainstream media um, and it just, you know, reinforces itself. For instance, at the end of this uh, video report by CBS, uh, you know, they're, the producers are kind of discussing this, quote, dilemma or whatever, because they realize, okay, that's a big number, 100% of people with Down syndrome being eliminated. But uh, the, que- the way they pose the question is uh, Casey Sherry, one of the um, producers of this report, says it is really science versus nature. Do we want to eradicate all these illnesses, all these abnormalities, all these disabilities from our society? Or what do these disabilities, what do these individuals bring for the world we live in? And so at first you're like, okay, well, what does that mean? But if you look at her words, what do these people bring for the world? So the way they're looking at it is on one hand, we could, you know, supposedly eliminate um, a issue like Down syndrome uh, by having abortions because they don't bring anything valuable to the world. And that's how we're looking at life these days. It's not just life is valuable because it's human life. It has inherent value and we should protect it. It's this, uh, you know, baby, this person, they're only going to burden my life. They're not really going to contribute anything to society. And so it's better for it to just not exist anymore. And that is the mindset, um, I think, in our culture and that you see reflected in media. And, you know, the the 100% is kind of making headlines right now in Iceland, 100% of babies with Down syndrome uh, being aborted. But 
in the U.S., 67% of women who screen positive for Down syndrome when they're pregnant have abortions. Mm. So that's still um, a high majority in other nations as well. And, uh, you know, like European nations, it's very high. In some cases, almost 100%. So this is um, a global problem. Liberty McCarter here on The Intersection. The website address is thestream.org. Next up on The Intersection, it's Tracy Murtha, whose late husband Greg passed away in June of this year. She described the cancer interruption in his life and how that affected his devotion to Christ. He had completed the writing of a book called Out of the Blue, The Unexpected Adventure of Life Interrupted. From a recent conversation, this is Tracy Murtha. Greg, um, he has always, um, in our married life since we met, he's always been a faithful um, follower of Jesus and loved Jesus and you know, sought to do his will, but he will say that the interruption of cancer just caused him to have laser focus. And he he said um, in 2012, he said, Jesus, I'm all in. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm all in. Wherever I am, if I'm going to be faithful to do whatever it is that you tell me to do in the grocery store, in a chemo infusion chair, in my neighborhood, in a parking garage, wherever it is, I'm all in. And so he began a, a Facebook blog post, um, just just kind of posting uh, what suffering, just what suffering was teaching him um, through the process. And people caught on, and there were thousands of people who were encouraged and inspired through those face, Facebook posts. And he basically, you know, it was it was two things. It's about the Word of God and the souls of men. Those are the only two things that last. And, you know, God just opened his eyes, opened his ears to just see hurting people around him, the hurting and broken of the world. And aren't we all broken? And um, those are people he never saw before. He had his well-planned list and he was going along but he would say he was operating out of his own strength and really not committing his plans to the Lord and saying, okay, uh, I'm going to listen and I'm going to say yes. And just the adventure that ensues from that um, saying yes to God is um, what he would share. And I think people resonated because of being broken. Um, you know, I just think we all long to... Um, not walk this road alone and to share it with others and we feel alone when we just share the good things and our strengths and not our weaknesses and Greg was authentic and vulnerable and what I heard at that celebration was people who said they were inspired they were um, encouraged to live life differently and a lot of them said that their experience with Greg was just it was life-changing I mean ultimately it was an experience an experience with Jesus and the life-changing love of Jesus, but Greg was able to share that, and it just poured out upon others. And um, again, just lots of people sharing. You know, my life is different because of what Greg shared, or my interaction with Greg. Talk about how he saw this interruption really as something that was well part of God's plan or an extension of God's grace? Yes. I mean, for Greg, the interruption was cancer, and 
he looked at that as, um, you know, God showing grace on him, that it took that to slow him down and for him to slow down and be able to see what it was that God had for him. He was busy, busy, um, in a hurried life, you know, operating against, again, great plans, but not um, committing and no dependence on the Lord to achieve those plans or whatever it is in the bigger story that God had for him. And and Greg would say that the interruption of cancer allowed him to see that he was living his small story and God wanted him to play a part in such a bigger story and God's story and just um, in his grace that he allowed um, Greg to be a part in that bigger story and to play a role in that in the adventure that that is, and he would say the adventure of a lifetime. And I think we all have interruptions, and, you know, they look different. For Greg's, it was cancer. Some of us, it may be something smaller. It could be a financial difficulty. It could be a problem in a marriage, an illness in a child, the death of a child. Um, you know, all of us have interruptions, and, and Greg, you know, God used that to just capture his heart. He said, my heart was changed through the diagnosis. And so, you know, I think, you know, Greg found abundant life, really, in a death sentence where, you know, life, you know, tells us otherwise that abundant life is found elsewhere. And Greg realized that through this, God had captured his heart. Tracy Murtha here on The Intersection. Learn more through the website, Greg Murtha, M-U-R-T-H-A, Finally, on this edition of the Intersection Podcast, it's Andrea Ramirez, Executive Director of the Faith and Education Coalition of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. She discussed the concept of Education Sunday on September 3rd, encouraging churches and church leaders to be more involved in providing quality education in their communities. From that recent conversation, this is Andrea Ramirez. We really believe that the church is equipped to partner with local schools in a unique way because show me a a city or a community in the United States that doesn't have a church in it. I mean, we are in the majority of cities. And so uh, what's happening is this educational reform conversation is taking place without us. And so what we want to ensure happens is church leaders and uh, pastors are able, since they're eyeball to eyeball with parents and with students, knowing the felt needs of what's happening, uh, and, and sometimes uh, within a Bible study setting can hear um, additional needs that need to, to be presented at meetings that are talking about education reform. Um, so we, we, we see some um, a, a real intersection and a nexus of where our faith in Christ can be practiced by being involved community leaders speaking into education reform and speaking on behalf of the communities that we're serving. Well, and this is an initiative of the National Hispanic Christian Leadership Conference. Comment on how you see that this is something of great relevance to the the Hispanic community. Pew Research in uh, just this last year said, in 2017, at the beginning of 2017, said uh, that they found that the top social concern for Hispanics is education, Hmm. even above immigration, even above economy. The top 
focus for Latino parents is that our students are getting a, a high quality education. And this notion, and, and we hear it around the dinner tables across America, I've got to move to this other side of town to get to the good schools. And we believe that narrative has to change in order for our country to move forward. Uh, we think that the National Education Sunday is one way to do that, that we can encourage churches to, to focus on education equity, ensuring that every child has this access to high quality education. Um, I myself am a product of both private and public school. My mom homeschooled my brothers. Um, my daughter has a blend of, um, of a private and homeschooling experience. And my husband and I are a founding family of a, a public charter school. So we love education in our house mm. and believe in, in all forms of education. But the reality is that over 90% of America's children are in public schools. And so for us to only focus on the children in our home and ensuring that they are getting a high quality education, but not extend um, and live out the verse of loving the Lord um, with all of our heart, soul, strength, and minds, and loving our neighbors as ourselves, if, if we turn our back on the children in our community, um, then, then we're doing them a disservice and our, our own children a disservice. So the challenge to the church is to do both, um, that it's not an either or, but it's a both and ensuring that the children within your home, that you're stewarding their education well, and that you are proactively involved in the education excellence of children in all of your community. You know, I think that God has really strategically placed his church, the body of Christ, in communities to have a dramatic impact on the community. And hey, education should be part of that. So when you talk about Education Sunday, what are your hopes for this particular day? Well, when I see congregations uh, sending in their pictures, showing us their videos of how they are equipping those students, praying over them, challenging them to raise the standards inside the classroom and out, um, that they are saying, you know, embrace testing. Tests just give you information. Um, you don't look at, at tests, whether it's statewide assessments or, or different various tests that you have within your within your semester, don't see those as indicators of your identity um, because our identity is in Christ, in Christ alone. But instead, look at those as information so that we can better equip you to fulfill what God has called you to do while you're living here on earth because we know that uh, we have an eternity, that we are eternal beings, but we've got some earth years here to live out mm. our assignments and, and to complete them unto the Lord. And so we want to continue to to see churches do that in really creative ways. Some churches do a photo booth, and they invite students to think about what God may be calling them to do. Um, some some churches invite um, students to put their a copy of their class schedule or their report card every quarter into the offering plate to surrender that unto the Lord. So we see creative uh, ways um, that, that churches are equipping students to make that connection that, that when we go to school, our education and, and how we use our mind is worship unto the Lord. Andrea Ramirez here on The Intersection. Learn more at faithandeducation.com. Spell out the word and. Well, we are nearing the conclusion of today's edition of the Intersection Podcast, a weekly production of The Meeting House. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Through that site, you'll find the download center marked Meeting House On Demand. Also, you can get subscribed to The Intersection Podcast and have it delivered to your podcast receiving software, including iTunes, each week. 
Two blogs are accessible. Also, you can follow me on Twitter and access the Meeting House Facebook page. You can also get connected to video content. Again, that website address is meetinghouseonline.info. Thanks for joining me for this edition of the Intersection Podcast. I'm Bob Crittenden.